Welcome to Talking Facts, what you need to know about family, food, finance, and fitness. Hosted by the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program, our educators share research knowledge with individuals, families, and communities to improve quality of life. Hello, and welcome to Talking Facts. This is your host, Dr. Jennifer Hunter, Assistant Director for Family Consumer Sciences Extension at the University of Kentucky. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Amy Kostelik, our Extension Specialist for Adult Development and Aging. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me. So today's topic, I think, is one that's going to be intriguing to our listeners. It is all about brain health. And let's get started by just talking about what exactly is brain health. Just when I use that term, what does it mean? Well, according to the National Institute on Aging, brain health refers to the ability to remember, to learn, to plan, to concentrate, and really maintain a clear and active mind. So I think that sometimes we see the term brain health maybe on social media or in the news. And why why is it so important? Why is it out there so much right now? Well, I think a lot of reasons. And, and one is that I think we fear things like Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, memory loss. And so it becomes a buzzword where people think, what do I have to do so that doesn't happen to me? And then I think the other reason that brain health is important and is a hot topic right now is because our brain is really our control tower. It tells us what to do. And so we know that a healthy brain is going to allow us to be attentive and to solve problems and to communicate and to really make sense of the world that's around us and to carry out our activities of daily living. So we we know then just by common sense that we've got to figure out a way to take care of that control tower so that it keeps working for us. So let's talk a little bit about that control tower. Are there ways or is there evidence out there of things that people can do to maybe protect their control tower or reduce the risk of cognitive decline over time? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one way to start out that conversation or this part of the conversation is to really think about the brain as, you know, similar to other organs in your body and that our brains, like the rest of us, age. And so we don't always think about that when we're younger because we, one, I think younger people sometimes think they're invincible, but also I think we don't see our brains. And when we get up in the morning, our brain isn't necessarily sore, like our joints or our muscles may be. I think that that's a really good point. You just don't spend much time thinking about your brain. And you don't start thinking about it until something happens, like you, you know, you forget a name or a face or you forget where you put your car keys. And typically, I think when we start hitting 40, 50, 60 plus years old, when we forget the name or we forget the car keys, it all of a sudden becomes, oh my gosh, I have early dementia or oh my gosh, something's wrong. And we forget that we probably were doing some of those things when we were younger too. But in saying that, I do think it's important to point out that the brain does start showing signs of cognitive decline as a person even enters their 20s. So the brain, it's it's important to remember that the brain is always changing. And with time and with wisdom and experience and maturity, our brain continues to grow. But they're also, like our muscles, it starts to decline as well. And so the things that you were asking me earlier is that are there things that we can do You know, are there lifestyle choices or behaviors that we can make? Can we take some small steps on a daily basis to make a really big difference in the brain? And the answer is yes. 
So as you talk about the car keys, I kind of have to laugh because I have never been able to keep up with my car keys, but I've been like that since I was 16 years old. So it's not my brain in decline. It's just me being crazy, right? Maybe a little, (laughs) but no. Someone told me once, and I don't know how much truth there is to this, but I do like the example that you can misplace your car keys and that's probably okay, but it's the time that you have your car keys in your hand and you don't know what to do with them. That might be a time where you think something could be wrong. Maybe I should go see my healthcare provider. But some of the things um, that we can do, Jennifer, to really look at a healthy brain And these are some of the things that we've put together through Family Consumer Sciences and Extension. So we were fortunate to have a a pretty neat team from people from Arkansas Extension and Kansas State Extension. And we were able to look at the existing research on some pretty famous longitudinal studies. So those are studies that were looking at people who were living to be 90 and 100 plus years old and what some of their secrets were. And so some of these people who are living to be healthy are then free of chronic diseases and dementia included. And so some of what we've learned from these studies include maintaining your overall health numbers. And so this is really looking at how do we control our medical risks? So how do we control for hypertension, obesity, cholesterol, diabetes? And I think of that as sort of like when we have our PIN numbers or telephone numbers. I think we used to memorize people's telephone numbers right? and we do now, but a lot of us still know our PIN numbers at least. But a lot of us don't know what our health numbers are. And so I think it's really important that um, you get annual checkups, you know those numbers, you know they're within the parameters that they're supposed to be so that you know you're healthy and that your blood is flowing how it's supposed to and that your blood is going up to your brain. I think that's a great analogy or, or thinking about the numbers like that because you you are right that something like our banking card PIN number is something that we would all know. How many of us really truly do know off the top of our head what our blood pressure is or what our cholesterol is? Most folks might know their weight, but they might not know if it's in the healthy weight range. Exactly. So just being more being more aware of those health factors, I think, is a great tip. And so those health factors actually relate to two additional keys that help support brain health, and that is is physical activity and nutrition because physical activity and nutrition are two ways in which we can help control those those health numbers. And so we we know that you don't need to run marathons. We've learned this from longevity studies. We've learned this from brain health studies. But we do know that you need to keep your body moving. So just move. This, we know, lowers the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. It improves blood flow and memory. It enhances learning, your mood, your ability to think. For younger kids, it, it helps them learn. The NIH, the National Institute on Health, recommends at least 150 minutes of exercise a week at moderate intensity and 75 minutes of vigorous, intense exercise if possible. And those should be done in at least bouts of 10 minutes. Would you have an example of what the difference between moderate and vigorous exercise is? Yeah, when I think of that, I think of moderate exercise as more of that attitude of keep moving. So you're gardening, you're walking, you're parking your car, not at the, you know, driving around for 10 minutes and trying to find the closest, the closest parking, parking spot. spot. You're going to park further away and My just walk into the store. My husband loves to park at the back spot because he'll say, everybody needs steps. And even our little girl will go, we're getting our steps. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's an easy way to get steps. And I think sometimes I call it being a slave to your 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 Fitbit or the the devices that count your steps. But I think that's not always a bad way to be because you end up being so conscious of, did I get those 10,000 plus steps or did I get, you know, the 15,000 steps, whatever your goal steps may be. And that can, that can be helpful. 
maybe moving on from diet and exercise, what about mental stimulation? Sometimes I hear doing crossword puzzles or doing different types of games or activities that engage your mind. Is that a is that something that could help or impact positively impact brain health? Absolutely. The big catchphrase there is use it or lose it. And so for a long, long time, we've known that we've got to be able to use our brain. So just like our muscles, you've got to exercise those. You've got to work out the brain. And when you think of mental stimulation, it's not just doing a giant jumbo word find or an easy crossword puzzle that you can be successful at and it's easy to do. What we want people to do is actually challenge their brains. So you're doing the New York Times crossword puzzle on a Sunday or doing something that's a little bit harder. You might be learning a new hobby, learning a language, practicing a new song if you're a um, musician, driving home from work on a on a route that's not your typical route. We get into what we call these habitual routines. And so we tend to do things the same way every time and our brain is so used to it, it doesn't really have to work to do that. Bedtime routines are an example. You could probably get ready for bed without much thought. You could do it in the dark even. Exactly. But if you flip it around and brush your teeth with your opposite hand or do something out of order, all of a sudden you have to think about, what did, have I washed my face yet? Did I do that yet? Because it's not a part of that routine. And so those are just small examples of ways that we can mentally stimulate our brains. But it's got to be some sort of challenge, learning new things, doing things differently. I have to laugh. My mother-in-law gave our little girl a puzzle. My mother-in-law loves to work puzzles, and I am not a puzzle person. I've never enjoyed doing puzzles. And I came home from work one day, and our sitter had gotten the puzzle out, and they had started working it. And our little girl was like, look, Mommy, we can finish it. And I was like, oh, great. We can finish the puzzle. And so it, it was a it was a thousand-piece puzzle. It was a fairly difficult puzzle. But I could tell. So we worked on it for several nights, just a little bit at a time, half hour here, half hour there. But at the beginning, you said, you know, you you don't really think, oh, about my brain, like how other muscles. But when we would finish working on the puzzles at night, I was like, my brain has had a workout. So, and I kind of laughed that she um, she asked my mom for the Starry Night puzzle as a gift, which my mom got her. And if if you have not seen that picture, it's almost all dark sky and, and stars. And I haven't been brave enough to open the box yet, but maybe I need to do that for some extra mental stimulation. I think so, yeah. And that stimulation truly promotes new brain cell growth and also helps decrease the risk for Alzheimer's disease. And the other tips, what about sleep? How important is sleep when we're talking about brain health? So this is one, Jennifer, that I should... I. I'm not practicing what I right. preach here. We we do need more sleep, and that's what everybody says. Sleep energizes, it improves mood, it resets the brain, it builds the immune system, and we even know that it reduces plaque in the brain that's associated with Alzheimer's disease, or it helps reduce that plaque. But the problem is we are busy and we lead busy lifestyles, and so a lot of people, including myself, tend to make choices in which I try to buy some more time in my day by cutting out another hour or two of sleep. And so, again, the research is definitely demonstrating that this is not a good idea to do and that um, chronic sleep deprivation in particular is very toxic on your overall health, including brain health. And I, I 100% agree that that sleep is what I tend to to sacrifice. That it's definitely a choice a choice that we make, or maybe it's just sometimes that I just can't sleep. But it's probably because of all the craziness that's running through through my brain from the day. Um, but definitely a goal that I can work towards. For yeah, sure. and when you bring up the craziness through your day, you know, there's there's different tips too on on just how do you get better sleep? Because I think sometimes we have to learn that or train ourselves to do that. And so I, I just ran across this in an article not too long ago, and it talked about 
about how we really need to try to put our crazy thoughts aside before we go to sleep. So even if you start a sleep journal of some sort, and not not a sleep like you're tracking your dreams per se, but it's just write the thoughts that are flooding your brain before you go to bed down so that you can leave them on you the get piece them of out. paper for the evening and not so that they're hopefully not in your brain while you sleep. And some other suggestions include um, turning off your smart devices at least 30 to 60 minutes prior to going to bed and not bringing those to bed with you. Excellent. As we begin to wrap up, Amy, I know that when we chatted prior to prior to starting to record our podcast today, you also mentioned socializing as a tip to improve or to impact brain health. Tips that you may have in terms of socialization. Yeah. So it seems it's interesting to me that socialization can help protect you from memory loss, but certainly the research supports that, especially meaningful social connections, having a connection to your community, having a connection with your family, having connections with close friends is really important. And so we know that those who are more socially connected experience slower rates of memory decline. And so ways in which we can encourage people to be socially connected includes um, volunteering, engaging in the community, and just really becoming involved in some way, which also helps provide a sense of purpose for people, which is another way in which you can manage your emotional health, which is an important brain health tip as well. And so when we think about managing emotional health, what would that include? I think managing emotional health really includes things like being mindful, being positive, being happy. Managing your stress would be considered a part of emotional health and even managing depression. I mean, I think that a lot of us um, can fight having blue days or more than a blue day, but it's being aware of that and having hope and, again, finding purpose and finding meaning and being able to take time for yourself. Wonderful. Dr. Costelli, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing on this topic. As I said at the very beginning, I think it will be intriguing to our listeners because it is something that we hear quite a bit about. And what I love about what you've shared today is that most things would be easy to incorporate into our daily life. And I always love it when we can provide easy to-dos or short goals for people to obtain. I will also share with our listeners that you have provided us with a series of links that will be in the show notes if this is a topic that they are interested in learning more about, that there'll be additional resources that they can reference. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Facts. We deliver programs focusing on nutrition and health, resource management, family development, and civic engagement. If you enjoyed today's podcast, have a question or a show topic idea, leave a like and comment on Facebook at UKFCSEXT. Visit us online at fcs.uky.edu to learn more about the University of Kentucky Family and Consumer Sciences Extension Program or contact your local extension agent for family and consumer sciences. We build strong families. It starts with us.